like Chad said, it's lacquer to be with family over Christmas um, and my spiritual family, being you guys. And the thing is, we don't, like Chad says, we don't do this once a year. We celebrate Jesus every day. That's what it's about, and it's about Him. And don't you agree, true worship songs are much better than jingle bells and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I mean, come on, in South Africa, when have we ever had a white Christmas? And uh, I don't know if you guys get it in the Isle of Man, but, <laughs> but yeah, you don't either. <laughs> so, yeah, so I felt this morning, just as, we, just as I prepared my heart, um, you know, I know some of us sitting here don't really, maybe, I don't know everybody that is sitting here, but don't always celebrate Christmas or you don't like to. As Chad says, you know, I, I get it for those who, who understand that there's a lot of paganism that's mixed over this time. I don't know if you know what Yuletide is, but it's actually a, a Germanic pagan festival that took place. It was called the Great Hunt. I think Odin was their god, and, uh, and so from the 21st of December to the 1st of January, they would celebrate this time. And I know some of you know about Augustine and how, he, uh, sorry, not Augustine, Constantine, who took this time and tried to entwine both the pagan festival and Christian festivals, and he is the one who declared that December 25th be the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. And because of that, a lot of people are resistant, and I, I get that. I understand why people feel you know, this is not right and, and, and stuff. But I, I want to say just to you, um, just to, I want to encourage you really that um, Christmas is about a time of the birth of Jesus that we're going to celebrate. And whether that day was, because the Bible doesn't actually give us a time when Jesus was born. It doesn't say when he, when he was conceived, doesn't say when he was born, but it does paint a picture for us about the birth of Jesus and the importance of it. It does paint a picture for us of Mary and Joseph having to go to Bethlehem because there was a, a census taking place right through the world. It does paint a picture that there was an angel who came to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. It does paint a picture of the, the Magi who came from the east, the oriental kingmakers who came to bring gifts to the king. And so, in this nativity scene that the Bible clearly gives us, we can't ignore that. We can't say, well, I don't agree because there's paganism mixed in, so I'm not going to acknowledge this nativity scene that, that has been presented to us by the Bible. And so we've got to be careful about that. And so if you may be that kind of person, I want to encourage you not to be disillusioned because of that, because of the, the enemy. You know, this is the funny thing about the enemy, hey? He's not the... He's very... He's, the Bible says, uh, it's in John 8, it talks about that he's a father of lies. Okay, I want you to think about that. So the enemy knows, Satan knows how the human heart works. He knows that if he was to come up and just say, well, no more Christmas, if he had to try and stop Christmas for us, I'll guarantee you the majority of us will stand up with a rebellion within us. No, we will fight for our freedom, our religion. And, and so he knows that. He's, he's very subtle like that. He's not going to try and stop Christmas. But what he is going to try and do is try and bring a, a counterfeit to the real deal. He's going to try and distort the nativity scene that God presents to us through the Bible. Okay, so you, do you get it? So I, I, I want to just explain something. The, the enemy is deceitful. Okay, and so he's going he's gonna to cast the web of lies in this truth that God gives us. He's going to try and confuse the issue of the birth of Christ that Chad was just sharing, the birth of Christ and the importance of it. 
Okay, so we, we got to look through those web of lies. We got to look through the deception, through all of the things that he's trying to say. And what is God saying to us through his word? And as we begin to look through that, we've, we've got to be careful because Satan's going to cover so many aspects of, of what the word is. And so he'll take the gift of Christ, of eternal life, and he'll try and smother it with other gifts. It's all about shopping online. It's all about going to the mall, maxing out your credit card, emptying your wallet, <laughs> all of those things, you know. And he'll try and cover it with the glitz and the glamour. He'll try and cover it with bells and whistles and holly and mistletoe and Santa Claus and reindeers and Rudolph and Christmas trees and all that stuff is a smokescreen to the real deal. Okay? Now, those things, they lack, the people can say, well, I'm not against it or for it. But I do want to say, let's just try and look at the real deal here. What is Christmas really about? And uh, not to be distracted by the main thing. Okay? We, we've got to look at Christmas for what it is, what, what the Bible celebrates, the birth of Jesus. And uh, so we've got to look at that. And uh, especially over this time, he's going to try and bring a distraction to the gift of Christ. The gift of Christ. The eternity that God has brought through his Son. And he's bringing it to us. And the amazing thing is, I often read Ecclesiastes 3, 11. I gave you that, that verse, uh, Benji. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has done from the beginning. Now, notice, just keep that scripture in. Over this time, man is always, especially now, we like gifts. Hey? We, we like things because it makes us feel better and i got this and this, but you know, we, we walk away maybe with empty wallets, but we have more stuff, but we're still empty. You know, it's, we still feel like there's still a void. You know, I still have within me, there's still a desire for more. And what is that? Well, as Ecclesiastes tells us, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Have you noticed fashions come and go? So you got this, maybe a beautiful dress for Christmas. That's a fashion. Tomorrow, there's going to be another one there, and your one's going to be out of date. I mean, think of it. I mean, I often look at photos and you think from the 80s and you think, what was I wearing? You know, or, or what, what kind of hairstyle? Things change. You might have a brand new car tomorrow. There'll be another one that's even better than your one. You know, fashion change. God made everything beautiful in its time, but he gives it a season. He gives it a moment that you can enjoy, but there's something that he's, he's left within you, which is eternal. He says he puts eternity in the human heart. And notice that, every single one, that's not for believers, that's for everyone, the world. God puts eternity in the hearts of men. Why? Because he knows that he alone is the one that's going to fulfill that heart. It's going to take someone who is eternal to fill eternity. And that's found in the person of Jesus. And... Uh, We've got to realize this world is dying. You can pursue it. This world is dying, and it's dying not because of global warming. <laughs> it's not dying because of deforestation. It's not dying because of ozone or the fact that you're using too much hairspray. It's dying because Adam sinned, and sin came into the world through him. And from the day that he ate of the tree and broke the command of God, sin entered this world, and it began to deteriorate from then. And so this world is dying because it's a spiritual thing that took place, a spiritual event. And uh, because of that, you and I, we are aging. We're getting old. Things have changed. You know, 
Think of it. Well, let me, let me quickly read Romans 8.22. You got that one, Ben? Did I give that one to you? Great. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Did I just give you verse 22? Let me carry on. Let me just read verse 23. And then it says, Not only so that, but, but we ourselves... We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly and wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for a new body. I'm waiting for the redemption of this body. And the funny thing is, the older you get, I mean, when you're young, you think, yes, man, I can do anything. I'm flexible. Uh, life is just there for me, and I'm beautiful. And as you start getting older, you start realizing you're getting hair in places you've never had before. You're getting older, you're getting wrinkles, and I, I, can't, quite, I can't, can't quite identify some of the guys, yeah? but, but I do realize that when I get up in the mornings, it's not as easy as it used to be. And so within me, there's a groaning, I can't wait for that redemptive body that God's going to give me. And creation cries out for that. Creation knows that this world is dying, the whole creation. And uh, we're all getting old. Guys, we're all going to die. We're all going to, because of sin. The Bible says that. But we're crying out to the Savior. We're crying out to the one who's, who's going to bring redemption, and that's Jesus. That's the gift that God's given us. And so the issue to the world is not a, it's not a social problem that we have around us. It's a spiritual one. And because it's not a social problem, you can't fix it externally. It's a spiritual problem, and it has to happen internally. God has to come. The Savior has to come and deal with me in my heart. And that applies to every single one of us. And so the problem, the solution is Jesus. And uh, he prophesied this to many a prophets, even in the Old Testament, that he would send a Savior, that he would send a Redeemer, that he would send a Deliverer to us. And uh, I was just reading through Isaiah, and uh, as I was reading some of these prophetic Guys, you know, Isaiah really saw a lot of pictures of, the, of Jesus, of the incarnation that God would come as man. Isaiah, I mean, you just read Isaiah 53. God shows him the picture that he gives, that Jesus would be the one that would die for us. And, uh, you know, you look at people like Isaiah, and, and just through the times that he was going, because Israel was going to go and be taken captive by Babylon, and so Isaiah himself was going through a turmoil. And you know, I often wonder, why is it that when God sends the prophets a word, that in that time that he's giving them the word, they themselves are going through a hardship. They themselves are going through some turmoil. And I started thinking about it. I started looking at someone like Isaiah and just how God would take this man and say, I want to I give you a picture. You see, and I started to realize this. When God gives a prophet a vision, when he gives them a prophetic picture of what's to come, he wants them, in a sense, to be ready in their hearts to receive it. Now, I want you to understand this, because God doesn't just want a seer of visions. He doesn't want to get someone who can just see it. He wants them to feel it. He wants them to know that within them, there's going to be a crying out for what, they, what he shows them, that they actually begin to call and call it forth and bring it and call, call upon it. That God come, what I'm seeing, what you show me, I want that to come to fulfillment because of where I am, the, the struggles I'm facing right now. And uh, in Hebrews 11:13, it says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw and welcomed them from a distance. So someone like Isaiah was one of them. He saw it from afar. He saw the redemption. He's calling upon it. He's saying, God, let it come. 
and they embrace it from a distance. Some of your versions will say they embraced it. And uh, I want to take a little bit of maybe poetic license, but I think of someone like Isaiah. I'm sure he must have been sitting on a rubble of what was once Israel. And he's looking through the ashes of a burnt city, and he's, and he's contemplating a long list of failed monarchs, of failed kings that, that never lived up to the expectation of what God had called them to. And he's sitting with disappointment. I mean, come on, how many times do you look at your politicians and think, yeah, again, <laughs> disappointment, disheartened, you know? And from this place of him sitting on this rubble and thinking, God, what are you going to do? And by the inspiration of the Spirit, God begins to give him a picture. And I love this because this is a scripture I want to read. Isaiah 9.6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm sure when Isaiah saw that picture, he must have said, God, I want that now. Come, Jesus. I'm calling upon you. I'm looking at my circumstances. I want that. And he begins to speak this forth. And uh, I want to just maybe, I'm, I'm just going to be sharing from this verse now. Because I think what Isaiah sees is something beautiful, something prophetic. It's something both that has both begun but not completed. And uh, I love the way he says, he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice he doesn't say unto us a son is born, and unto us a child is given. He says unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's very important that we understand this because when he says unto us a child is born, he's emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. And when he says the son is given, he's emphasizing the deity of Jesus. That this, and this is the, what we call the, the incarnation of Jesus, that God was fully man, and yet he was fully God at the same time. And so Isaiah begins to see this. And why is this important for you and me? Well, I want to say this, because I think as we begin to understand that Jesus was born, think of it. Jesus was born. Here God is eternal. He, he knows the beginning to the end. He's, he's in yesterday, he's in today, and he's in tomorrow. He's He's, he's not caught up in time. He steps out of eternity, and he steps into time. He's born. Think of that. God says, okay, I'm going to subject myself to time. And so he, he's born in a, in a time and a place. He's born in a manger. He's born 2,000 years ago in a, in a time and in a place. And he, he subjects himself to that. Not only does he subject himself to a time and a place, but he subjects himself, think of it, as a baby, as an as a embryo in a mother's womb. He subjects himself to that. He subjects himself to being a toddler growing up. He subjects himself to be a young boy, a teenager, a man. He subjects himself to all of those things. And it's important that we grasp that because, you know, sometimes I think we, we look at Jesus and we think he got you know, he's got direct place or apps that he can just download directly. Just, you know, there's no, Jesus never came with preloaded apps within him. The Bible says that he became, you know, as he grew up, he got baptized. Then he was filled with the Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him. 
He never came. And why is this important for us to grasp? Because I think as we begin to look at because often we look at Jesus and say, well, he could do that because he was God. No, he was also man. And this is the picture that Isaiah is trying to tell us. He was born. He was man. And he faced the same trials that you and I face. He faced the same circumstances. And this is God coming as man. And he was born. And he subjects himself to this. He subjects himself to everything that you and I subject ourselves to. Well, we don't subject. We, we just have to have it because we're born with it. But he subjected himself to it. <clears throat> Why is this important? Well, it's important because, you know, it's important that God knows what, who you are and what you're going through. I want to read Hebrews 4.15. <clears throat> It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Isn't that amazing? And I want you to think about that, because I think it's important that we understand. Let me quickly carry on. It says, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive the mercy and find grace to help him in the time of need. So God's saying, look, I want to identify you because you're going to go through things that I want to understand. Isn't Isn't that empowering? I mean, think of it. God doesn't just know. You don't want to know God just, you know God knows everything, but you want to know that God cares. You want to know that God can sympathize within you. I, I just recently had a friend of ours that, uh, he was actually the guy that ordained me as an elder, um, just saw that his daughter had died 20, she was only 25 years old from a stroke. And I thought, how do you, how do you handle that as a parent? You know, and I'm sure Pete at this moment is not saying, God, I want to know your ways. He's like, God, I want to know you care. You know, he, as much as, as who God is, and His wisdom is infinite, and it's beyond knowing, but there's so much more. Is that, God, I just want to understand that you know what I'm going through. Because it's in that moment that God begins to empower. And so it's important that we do know that, that Jesus came as man. It says, then He became the sympathizing high priest. Isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful picture that God paints for us. And so it's an empowering thing to understand that Jesus came as man. But he also came as God. And it's important that the Son was given. You see, God was, Jesus was always. Okay, he was in eternity past. He was in, in the present. He's in the future. Jesus always was. In the beginning was the Word. But the Word now becomes flesh. Okay, and, and I want to stipulate that because I know a lot of people, like the Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe that Jesus was always. They believe that God the Father created Jesus, that he was in one of the angels, the first angel that God, I mean, where they get that, I don't know. But Jesus always was, because he is God. John 1 says, he became flesh. In fact, in the announcement of Matthew 1, he says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Okay, so Jesus is God, and He always was, He always is. So why do we need God to come as God? 
We understand why we needed God to come as man, but why did He have to come as God? Well, let's read Romans 8.4. It says, For what that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, the thing is God had to send His Son because He, he became sin for us and yet He knew no sin. See, it took God to come. And you see, we needed a perfect sacrifice. Now, we all know none of us are perfect. Huh? We all know every single one of us have fallen short with the glory of who God is. We've all, we've all broken the law. And that law was something God had given that defines His character. But all of us have fallen short to that. And so God had to send His own Son to do that. Someone who is spotless. Someone who is without sin. And so He sends His Son. <clears throat> and you know, often I hear people say, well, why couldn't God just forgive us? Have you heard that? I mean, why couldn't God just forgive us? Why did he still need to send his son? Well, this is the thing. You know, the Bible says in, in Luke 16, it says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of God's law to become void. And you know, every single one of us have fallen short of that law. And God says, I can't just ignore the law because the law def defines who, who I am, my righteousness. And you know, I know as parents, we often say, well, I don't know how many times I've heard parents do this. They, they say to the child, you, you know, if you do that, I'm going to give you a hiding. And uh, they do that. Now, that's your last time. If you do that again, I'm going to give you a hiding. And after about the 10th time, your word is no longer your word. Am I right? And it's a reflection on your character. And when God says, you know, when He gives us the law, that's a reflection of His character. And He says, you break that law, there's consequence. And can't, God can't just ignore something because it, it's a characteristic of Himself. The Bible says God cannot lie because it's who He is. He's righteous. He's holy. He can't ignore sin. He's got to deal with it. But He knows you and I, if He has to deal with it according to His righteousness, you and I will be consumed. So He has to send a substitute, Jesus. That's the amazing picture He gives us. And I'm going to, I'm not... <laughs> I'm trying to do this as quickly as I can, but I don't want to, also don't want to lose the moment of what God is saying here this morning. This is what Christmas is about, hey, church? And then he says this, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, you and I know that truth, that his kingdom has not been fully consummated yet. Okay, Jesus is still coming. He's still going to fulfill this prophecy. This, this prophecy is taking place, we do see treacles of God's kingdom breaking through into people's lives. We do see marriages restored. We do see people coming to salvation. We do see God delivering people from drugs and addictions and all those things and healing people. So the kingdom is coming through. It's breaking through. Jesus said that from the day that Jesus came. He said, the kingdom is going to be among you. And so we do see the kingdom happening, but we also haven't seen the fulfillment of that. And that's why you and I, we are called to be in this world, but not of it. See, we are the light in this present darkness. We are here to go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because in doing that, the kingdom is advancing. It's advancing one soul at a time. And so we don't maybe try and change God's, bring God's kingdom by trying to change the political arena or try and change the education or try and change the media. No, 
because we know that's all external. We know the problem here is actually the human heart. And the way God's doing, the way He's advancing His kingdom is one, one person at a time through our witnessing, through our ministering, through our going and, and making disciples. <clears throat> and so you might be here and you've never received Jesus as Lord. You might be here and you've never received Him as King. And this morning, I want to make Him known to you, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you know, the amazing thing is, Chad was just sharing, I just felt, you know, one of the things Jesus presents Himself at His birth, we do see a gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We do see Him laying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth. But He's coming back again, church. And He's not going to come the same way He came the first time. The Bible says he'll be coming riding on a white horse, and he'll have a legion of angels behind him. And the Bible says he'll have fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand. And it says this, it says that his robe will be dripping with blood. Why? Because he's going to slay those who never received him as king. That's, that's harsh, hey? Let me tell you, no Hollywood CGI horror movie can compare with that day. Think of it. He's going to be coming like that. I don't know, I, I just, this morning I just felt if you've never received him as Lord, I want you, it's almost like God, you come and reveal yourself to that person if that's you. Because he is going to come like that. And I want every heart to be ready for that day. Every single one of us, I don't want any of us to, to have to face the torment of that day. What does it mean to make Jesus Lord? What does it mean for him to be the King of Kings? Well, Paul put it like this, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You know what Paul was saying? God, no longer do I want to take reins of my life. I'm handing it to you. You think of reins. It's something you steer your, if you've got a horse whip. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm handing over the reins to you, God. I'm, I'm letting you lead. I want you to lead my marriage. I want you to lead my family. I want to submit to your kingship. You know, every single one of us, before we met Jesus, we were living for ourselves. The Bible says in the last day, we'll be lovers of ourselves. And you know what? That's what it is. So, so that place when we come to the acknowledgement that he's king, we actually say, God, take the reins. Because I know where I'm heading is, is to destruction. I know that I cannot bring life in what I'm doing. You alone carry that. And it's like handing that over. God, I'm handing over my marriage. I'm handing over my kids. I'm handing over myself. And I'm saying, God, come and take control. Come take control of my marriage. Come take control of my parenting. Come take control of my business. Because you, Jesus... I'm making you king. And you have to do it now. Not when he comes. He's calling us to do that now. Daniel 2.44, don't have to go there. In Zechariah 14.9, it says, The kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is what Jesus has established, will establish. Nor will it be left to another people. See, there's going to be a time in history where every government, every president, every king, every constitution, every institution, every business, every person will acknowledge him as king. There's going to come that day. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. 
I want to do that now. <laughs> I don't want to wait for that day. You, that's the privilege that we have. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you guys this morning, those who haven't, make Him Lord. Make Him Lord and Savior of your life. And I'm not saying this under compulsion. I'm not trying to bring some constraint that you must, that I, thus says Benny. But I am trying to say that, you know, it's really, it's going to take the revelation of the Holy Spirit to come and lift the veil over your heart. And it's like, God, I want to show you who I am. And the Bible says that. The Holy Spirit removes the veil, and we begin to behold Him. It's like we, we begin to see who He is. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. I can't. I can preach about it. But the Holy Spirit alone comes and does that within you. And so I want to encourage you, if, if that is you, maybe God's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Open. Open for Him. He won't demand it. Because he's, he's amazing like that. He's a, he's a loving, caring God, but he's, but he's a God that will tug at our hearts. But there's going to come a day where you don't want him to be on that side when, when you're on the wrong side. And so I want to encourage you, now is the day to do that. And so God, God gives us a pliable heart. You know, the Bible says this, that if you seek the Lord and you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. That's a promise. So the question is, do you want to see him? Do you want to behold him? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know this King of Kings? It's going to take a heart that's surrendered. The Bible says when you do that, He takes this heart of stone huh, and He gives us a heart of flesh. And you know what happens there? It's a heart that begins to beat for Him. And I want to say, yes, He's a holy King. He's a righteous King, but He's also a loving King. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know your history, but you know, when, when kings were placed in power, the people began to have almost like a consensus of the name that they would give that king. Have you ever noticed that? Like, let me give you an illustration. Who knows what Alexandra was known as? The Great. Yes, we've got some people who know the history. Who knows what William was known as? King William. The Conqueror. Who knows what Ivan the king, Ivan the Terrible, yes. Who knows what Mary's name was? Queen Mary. Uh, no, her, the name that the people gave her. Bloody Mary. Why? Because of all the executions that she did. The bloody woman. Ah, uh, bloody. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway... But what I want to say here is there was a name given under the consensus of what the people saw that king as they governed the people. So, and I, the reason I'm making this point is because I believe, you know, this, this is a bit of license. I could be wrong, and I'm, I'm standing open to correction. But, you know, I love the scripture that, is, that Isaiah paints for us about Jesus. Let me just find it quickly again. Oh, I've just lost it. But he, but he says this. Uh, can you go back to Isaiah 6? There, it says, um, and says, and his name will be called. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a name that the Father gives him. I don't know. I don't think it's a name he's placed on himself. But this is my feeling. I could be wrong. I feel this is a name that the people call him because it's a name of what they see within his rulership of how he leads the world. And it says, he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of 
peace. Amazing. I can't wait for that king to come and rule the world. He's going to come. And you know what the amazing thing is? You and I, who have given our lives to him, the Bible says that you and I will rule with him. <laughs> that's my king. And that's who he is. And the people, and I, this is what I believe, but I believe the world will declare that. They can't deny that he is all of those things. And so I, just in closing, I, maybe I might have touched some hearts here this morning. I want to open up for after the service. If you've never given your life and made Jesus as Lord, can I ask that you would come up to the front and uh, just come that we could pray with you? If you want to make that decision, and it's not a lightly decision, it's an important decision, that you do that. And so the rest of us, I just want to pray, pray over us. Pray that, that we would live in the fullness that God has for you, that we'd be living a submitted life to Him. And so, Father, I want to pray for your church this morning. Father, I want to thank you that you are coming. And Jesus, you are preparing us, your church, for that day. But Lord, I want to pray for, for people that have never met you, Jesus. I want to pray for folks here that might not have received you as Lord and Savior. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to remove the veil of their hearts, that they would behold you, that they would see you in your glory, Father, that they would notice, that they would be captivated by the glory of who you are, Jesus. And I want to pray for us, Lord, that we'll be a people that are constantly seeking after the things of the King. That we won't be living for ourselves, but Lord, that we'll be living for you. That we would carry the heart of even what you prayed over us, Jesus. That you said, this is how we should pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we want to pray that that would start with every one of us, within our own hearts. Let your kingdom come, Lord. And let it be advanced through every single one of us that have surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen.